Welcome to Little Podcasts of Horrors, my friends. <laughs> so today we actually have a really special guest with us. Um, we have Trace Bell here, who is a certified psychedelics coach, integration guide, consciousness teacher, and founder of Open Aware. He also happens to be the son of Rob Bell, who we did have the pleasure of interviewing earlier um, in October of 2023. So still pretty recent. So welcome, to the show, Trace. Yes, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Also, I, I, I was I was really interested too, if I may say, of your name, Trace, because I I was uh I had listened to you, you talk on several other interviews, and that your your name is actually Robert, um is it's actually Robert Holmes Bell the third, but they call you Trace because you're the third, and so it's Spanish. I thought that was so cool, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Aww. Yeah. It's kind of like the, um, I joked that it was, uh, it's like the American version of Trace because you don't really name a, a little white kid uh, Trace. Um, <laughs> three is, that's three in Spanish. So my parents decided to go T-R-A-C-E, which I'm very grateful for because I'm Trace to Robert as a name. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, unique for sure. Like you're not going to hear a Trace anywhere. You're the first for me. Well, so let's just jump right into it. Uh, you're a psychedelics coach. So just we straight were just out talking the, about psychedelics. We were. As it so, so happens. Just general question. What attracted you to working with psychedelics for like therapeutic like purposes? That's a great question. Um, so I always felt a um a curiosity about like even as a younger kid, just seeing them mm -hmm. portrayed in, uh, seeing them portrayed in uh, TV shows and movies and uh, hearing about psychedelics and music. Um, I always was just, I was always curious about consciousness expansion and the mind and uh, exploring reality in new ways. So I always um, had psychedelics as kind of a curiosity. And it wasn't until uh, I was 21, my senior year of college, where I met a psychedelic guide who used psychedelics um, for healing purposes. So the psychedelic guide actually met, um, you would you would work with this psychedelic guide um, either at your house or their space. Um, and you would have an experience with them on the psychedelics where they would use um, that experience as a catalyst for healing and transformation and looking at looking into trauma. And, um, that really, I was before that was sort of aware that psychedelics were being used in certain circles as, um, something that was a tool for healing trauma, um, and opening mm -hmm. the heart and, um, living a more kind of grounded embodied existence. Uh, and then when I was 21, I actually had, uh, experience with a trained guide in that context. And that just completely opened up a whole new world for me. Um, so that was really like my entrance into, actually using these substances as a tool for healing and growth. And yeah, then my, my life just changed from, from there on. Yeah, definitely impacted the tra trajectory of your life. 
since you're, you do it professionally now. Um, okay. I blanked out James. You have... <laughs> um, I guess I, I was thinking as a, a good early question before we get too much into the weeds is uh, especially for listeners, you know, that are not too familiar with the topic at all. I know a lot of us, especially uh, Gen Xers like myself, you know, grew up through the eighties of uh, drugs being of all kinds, being especially uh, demonized. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking of the dare program, you know, when I was in school and whatnot. And uh, what, what was the little animated commercials? Like I'd rather eat a bug than do a drug, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so um, if when, whenever you encounter somebody who's kind of comes from that mental programming, if you will, and are wanting to kind of deprogram that and learn the reality of it. Uh, what what would be a, a good first step for the initiated to kind of uh, get past that, demystify that, and understand the reality of of psych- the psychedelic experience? Yeah, great question. And I've I've definitely met um, a lot of these kind of people who uh, have been very curious about it, but had a lot of that dare programming. Um, there's a there was a book written in 2018 called How to Change Your Mind by uh, Michael Pollan, and Michael Pollan is a author here in the Bay Area who does a lot of work with, um, he, he's written about plants throughout his his career, like coffee. And he's he was sort of a like very respectable, kind of esteemed author. Um, and he wrote this book, um, How to Change Your Mind, that really was, I think, the, the most um, impactful book written on psychedelics in this modern, um, kind of in the past few decades, because it really, he spoke honestly as someone who was a little bit skeptical, but entered into using psychedelics for healing. And he wrote about his experience um, doing that. Uh, and it was a very, very compelling, um, very honest, just a very um, uh, kind of uh, detailed book about someone who was skeptical going in and actually having profound experience with these um, so that book for a lot of people was a kind of an awakening and a, a process of kind of shedding that some of that conditioning and seeing someone who was raised with that programming actually enter into the space and use these uh, psychedelic medicines for healing. And then Netflix um, last year released a four part series titled this by the same name, How to Change Your Mind. Um, that I think is even an even better introduction because it actually is focusing on um, real people's stories who are using these medicines. So I think those two pieces of media, the book and the um, TV show titled by the same name, How to Change Your Mind, are the two pieces of media that I recommend to people who are, um, you know, trying to deprogram. And then honestly, I think the best thing to deprogram is just to really have conversations with people whose lives have been changed through using psychedelics, um, you know, there's a, more and more people now are having um, healing and transformative experiences. So if you're someone that's trying to kind of see through that conditioning, like actually seeking out people who have had these experiences and then just asking them questions about uh, their journey and their experience. And, um, you know, oftentimes our, our views are uh, changed when we have like real direct authentic connection with others where we really hear their story uh, in detail um, and see like we palpably see the transformation that it's inspired in others. Um, so yeah, seeking out people that 
um, have really been transformed by this work, I would say is like the number one thing. And then as far as media, the other two pieces that I uh, mentioned there. Yeah. 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 I saw the Netflix series myself. Yeah. That was, was, that was definitely kind of one of the first eye openers for me. I was at his house. That's right. You were. I came downstairs and, and you're sitting there and I'm like, what you watching? And his response was drugs. Yeah, <laughs> and and before I knew it, I was like, "Oh, oh, this is it!" Like, "Oh, you know, like it really pulled you in, and it did a really good job." So, if I may ask, uh, when you're dealing with people like, if you're, when, I mean, when you're advising people about psychedelics and that sort of thing, and you're dealing with, you know, you're con- just a regular guy who's like wanting to have an experience, wanting to grow spiritually, as opposed to somebody who's suffering from depression and 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 really trying to find a way to get past that is there a kind of do you take a different approach depending on you know the the differing situations yeah that's a great question um so i kind of i see psychedelic there's like three different kinds of approaches to psychedelic do taking psychedelics and this is this is oversimplified but this is sort of like a sort of a helpful view, I think, of intentions for taking it. One uh, purpose is recreational, um, which has been a lot of psychedelic use (laughs) throughout history. And this is why a lot of uh, people have a negative view of psychedelics is because they only see that it's being used uh, recreationally. And you hear about people doing stupid shit and jumping off buildings. And I mean, those oftentimes those stories are much more overblown. Most people who do psychedelics recreationally are doing it responsibly. There's nothing wrong with doing psychedelics recreationally, as long as it's responsible. Um, so there's no, there's no demonization of doing psychedelics recreationally. So there's recreational use. And then I would say that there's um, what's what I would call expansive use. So this is a more kind of general approach of I want to take um, I want to have a psychedelic experience that um, just opens me up, shows new parts of myself, helps me connect um, spiritually. I and mean, there's a lot of different intentions that can fit under this um, kind of expansive uh, intention. Um, and then I would say there's the intention of healing, which I would say is different from recreational use and expansive use and healing the healing intention is purposely going into psychedelics and an experience to heal trauma to see trauma and life events in a new context in a new light to hold the parts of ourselves that we um, haven't been able to hold very well with love and to experience a new kind of self-love for ourselves Um, and obviously these all of these categories, they're not like rigid defined categories. Like they can kind of bleed into each other. You can have a recreational experience that ends up being really expansive and also helps you heal trauma and vice versa. Um, but I would, as far as like people approach, like your question there, someone might be approaching psychedelics, wanting to have more of an expansive experience of like, I, I'm not suffering from depression. I'm not suffering from anxiety. There's not like anything specifically that I want to work on, but I do want to just have an expansive experience and see what happens, see what insights, see what revelations come, see, um, you know, have some sort of mystical experience. Um, and then there might be someone who comes and says, you know, I've really been suffering from depression. I've been on antidepressants. I want to get off antidepressants. Um, 
And I want an experience that helps me get to the root of what's alien me. Like what's the, what's the trauma that is behind the depression, behind the anxiety. I want to have a psychedelic experience where I can uncover that, see that in a new light and heal that trauma. And I would say that fits under the healing uh, category. So those are kind of like, those are helpful categories that I kind of look at experiences with. Um, and when I work with people, I'm really trying to, um, really do a lot of prep work to see like, what are their intentions? What are they, um, what are they, what do they want to get from this experience? What changes they, do they want to see in themselves? And then that helps me kind of help them prepare in different ways for, for different intentions. Um, so yeah, there's a lot more to say about that, that question, but that's like a kind of general overview of looking at the different kinds of experiences. Cool. That, right. that uh, kind of connects to the question I had. Going back to your first experience, um, I, I, I like to think by comparison, you know, we when we think of um, how such experiences are portrayed in media, it's like, you know, you have some guy high as a kite going like, whoa, I can see sounds and smell colors now or something crazy like that. <laughs> but the, what, what I found fascinating is from, you know, the you've written about your experience being you, you saw something that couldn't be unseen. But uh, that was, but it wasn't a, you had this psychedelic experience. And then from that point forward, bada beam, bada boom, everything has changed. It was, you had this experience and it was step one. And you described like what followed was a lot of work to then take that on a journey to, to go somewhere with it. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, psychedelics are, uh, inherently kind of a messy practice, I would say. Yeah. Um, you know, it can be, uh, and my misconception going into it, uh, was, you know, oh, this is going to be an amazing experience, super expansive. It's going to be, it's going to open me up in new ways. And all of that did happen. But then afterwards, some repressed emotions, like the, you know, the, the days and weeks after some repressed emotions start surfacing. And all of a sudden I'm like, wait, what the fuck? I didn't sign up for this. You know, I thought this was all going to be fun. And that was, it was really a kind of initiation to me to the spiritual journey of like, Hey, the spiritual journey, it's not all fun. Like this is hard. This is hard work. And it, it forces you to look at your shadow and it forces you to look at the emotions that you've suppressed and denied. Um, so I had a bit of a, uh, I don't know. I want to say rough initiation, but I definitely had an initiation into the integration phase, which is, Hey, you have this super expansive experience. Um, but the real work and the real transformation and change that comes from psychedelics. And I can't stress this enough is the integration work afterwards. Um, the experience on the day that you take the psychedelic is only a I would say small part of actually the of psychedelic work and, and change and transformation that comes from this work. The real work is the um, weeks and months afterwards of integrating the experience of being with the emotions that are now surfacing in your body because your defenses are more down. Um, the real work is can you love those parts of yourself that are surfacing after the experience and can you use the experience the expansiveness of the experience you did have to then um live differently um when you're not in the psychedelic experience so um yeah it's interesting i i i wrote i, I saw something that could not be unseen 
I feel like what's more accurate is I more felt something that could not be unfelt um, where I had a certain, you know, mystical experience for lack of a better word um, that just once you, you know, as as people who have mystical experiences describe, once you experience, feel, see that um, it's something that can't really be put back uh, in the box. Um, but I, you know, early on my psychedelic journey was a little maybe bumpier uh, than I anticipated because um, the integration work was not stressed to me um, from the guide I was working with. Um, that was my main sort of criticism of the initial guy that I started working with is I felt that they didn't have, they didn't stress enough of the importance of integration and, and provide enough support, um, provide enough integration support afterwards, which was one of the main, that was one of the main drivers that really want, made me want to study um, psychedelics and uh, get trained as an integration guide because I realized how crucial this integration piece is. And as psychedelics become more accessible and mainstream, more and more people are going to be having these experiences. And we really need people who can uh, support them in the integration process afterwards. Um, so I always just, I always stress uh, integration, integration, integration. That's where the real work is done. Um, and people that I've seen people who get um, sort of uh, addicted to the high and expansiveness of psychedelics and aren't willing to do the integration work afterwards. Um, and that's uh, a recipe for disaster in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, that integration piece is just so key. That was literally my next question that you just answered at the very end of that. <laughs> I was I was thinking, because you were talking about like, you know, you have these powerful emotional or mystical experiences. And, you know, sometimes people take psychedelics to have, you know, some fun or like open up a little bit, but I don't, sometimes we don't know what that actually means. So, you know, I was wondering, yeah, if after they have these really powerful moving experiences, do you find a lot of people are really not willing to do that integration piece and like, are like, this is too much. I'm going to put my head back in the sand, so to speak. So I think you kind of answered that there at the end that some people, yeah, it's too much, but is that very common? Yeah. I, and that's, yeah, I think that's very uh, common. I think I would, I would say that most psychedelic use is uh, almost like casual kind of recreational use mm -hmm. where people take it for fun to have, um, you know, expansive experiences. Um, and I don't mean to like demonize that at all. That's, that's, that's fine. I I'm of the belief that these, uh, substances should be, um, accessible just like, you know, marijuana is in a lot of States now. Um, I think, you know, people should have the right to expand their consciousness in the ways that, that they desire. Um, but there's a there's a big that's really the big difference between people who are doing this for fun and people who are actually using psychedelics as a modality for healing, growth and transformation. Um, the commitment to integration afterwards and the commitment to using that experience as a catalyst for growth and exploration and inquiry. Um, that's really what separates to me the people who are using just using psychedelics um, for fun um, versus people who are actually using psychedelics, like as a spiritual practice and as a modality on their personal growth journey. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and I would think, so, I mean, I've, I've done a couple different psychedelics. I've not had a mystical experience. Um, but I do, I've had, I've had like, uh, retreats with people and I feel like there's magic there. Right. And so you want to like, hold on to that magic and then you go home and you, it's kind of sad because you don't feel like there's magic. You know, you have to go to work, you have to, you know, go buy groceries, you have to pay your bills. So I wonder if that also it's not necessarily commitment, but lack of guidance. Right. So that like when you're doing it for healing purposes, um, it's good that people like you are, are doing this work because otherwise you just kind of lose the meaning. You kind of lose sight of what the experience was altogether just because of the mundane life <laughs> day to day. So absolutely. So true. And I, I'm, I, I'm a huge proponent of, uh, if someone's using psychedelics as one of their modalities for healing and growth to have other modalities and practices in their life. So I don't believe that psychedelics should be anyone's uh, only modality for growth. I'm a big proponent of meditation, um, breath work, um, you know, going out, spending much time in nature. Uh, there's so many different uh, you know, modalities and practices. Um, but I believe that psychedelics should kind of fit in an ecology of practices so that um, the psychedelic experience is actually positively impacting all of these other practices and things on the personal growth journey. Um, I don't, when, when our only when psychedelics are the only modality someone has for an altered or expansive state of consciousness, um, then it can create an, a, a reliance on just on psychedelics to produce that kind of state. And it can really produce what you're describing there, which is like the high from an altered state of consciousness and then the come down, uh, which is a really like important part of the growth, you know, to be with that. Mm -hmm. um, but when you, there's nothing, when there's no other practices that we have, that help us expand, um, then I think that can, that almost like that tension can kind of be exacerbated a little bit. So I'm mm -hmm. a big, big proponent of psychedelics being, um, one modality of many and supporting all of these other facets of life rather than it being the one thing that's producing and catalyzing our growth and transformation. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause like you might, identify something during your psychedelic experience and then like something deep and emotional like a trauma or something that you didn't attach to this other thing that was bothering you in life and so where do you take that be like okay maybe you should see a, a counselor you know get regular counseling for now you have this issue that you can take to them so yes yes so well said and that that's um, I'm glad you brought up um, working with a counselor or therapist. That's another really, really important modality. And someone I highly recommend if you're doing psychedelic work to have some sort of uh, therapist, coach, counselor, guide who you can bring the material that's surfacing to them and they can help you process and work through it. Um, that's honestly in the psychedelic work that I do with a lot of people. That's one of my favorite uh, things about the work is the psychedelic experience is bringing so much up for the person that when I meet with them, there's like so much material for us to dive into and explore and integrate. Um, mm -hmm. and so if you're looking for something to 
really bring out a bunch of material to work through. I think psychedelics are one of the most powerful tools for that. Um, but that also requires having someone who can uh, hold space with you and yeah. help you help guide you through that. Right. I kind of answer something that I was going to ask too, because, you know, you, you talked about meditation and I remember I just, you recently talked about uh, uh, like being connected to the earth, you know, and like feeling the, you know, the ground, it's like all about connection. And I, and I, I kind of observed more about, I guess, maybe in a sense, it helps to be grounded to ground yourself before you go on this journey, before you start to explore the possibilities, and which is something else you talk a lot about is about possibilities of things, but uh, that it's a good baseline to kind of keep yourself connected to everything first before you explore that other side, I guess. Yes. Yes. I'm so glad you brought this up. Like having a, already having a strong foundation of you know, being, being connected and having a, just having a strong foundation to, um, uh, just a solid base almost. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of blanking on how to exactly articulate this, but, um, having a, uh, having a foundation of connection, I think is a really important before diving into psychedelic work. Um, so, uh, nervous system regulation, uh, techniques, being able to regulate the nervous system. So when we go into a sympathetic fight or flight state, um, having techniques and practices that can get us back down into a parasympathetic, uh, state, um, having, uh, you know, control of the breath and being able to use the breath to calm down the body. Like these are all really, really important skills to have before diving into psychedelic work. Um, because in psychedelic experiences, when, uh, difficult emotions surface, which happens often. Um, and our body starts to sort of panic and freak out a little bit because we've created this whole kind of ego persona and defenses to keep this material from surfacing. Um, does someone have the ability to ground themselves in the moment, come back to being present, come back to their breath, um, you know, feel the sensations of their body and just really ground into that. Um, like that's all, those are all really, really key things, because if you don't have that baseline foundation of connectedness to yourself and the ability to regulate, uh, your system, um, shit can go really haywire. <laughs> um, and, and it has for me in the past, um, I, part of that, it was actually a huge realization for me that I needed to do, uh, more nervous system regulation work because, uh, on some, <laughs> on some mushroom experiences, I had some, uh, repressed emotions come up and my body freaked out. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? And after the experience, I was like, oh, um, I need to really like work on like creating, getting really disciplined with creating a, um, a skill set of regulating my system and allowing these emotions to be there and not have my body, uh, panic, um, before I go more into this work. Um, so, I think it's it's really important to have these skills before you dive into this work and no one's perfect. Um, sometimes you get into this work and you learn stuff and learn like, hey, I'm really good at regulating my, my system when I deal with these emotions, but this emotion, this trauma that's from way back, um, I really need to like, uh, you know, investigate and uh, do some more healing work on. Um, so yeah, having having lots of different practices that help us connect and ground and regulate ourselves um, is a really, really important uh, foundation, I feel, for diving deep into psychedelic work.
I love how you said dive deep too, because I just, I'm going to paraphrase it. I was thinking when I was reading a lot of your, your stuff, an analogy popped up, which I, and I'm going to paraphrase it probably badly, but even the greatest swimmer takes certain precautions before they dive into the depths of the ocean. Mm -hmm. So I like, I, I like the fact that you put, you know, dive in. Cause I was thinking that was exactly the exact analogy I was thinking of. So. I love it. Yeah, that's perfect. And I, um, this just came to me and I want to add this, you know, this, this discussion that we're talking about is, is, uh, is more focused on uh, bigger psychedelic experiences. So macro dose, uh, psychedelic experiences as they're called. So that's like the conventional, like you're taking enough to, as they would call trip or have like a, a big experience. Um, there's also microdosing, which is gaining in popularity. And I do a lot of microdosing work, um, with people as well. And these are almost, Microdosing versus macrodosing are almost two completely different modalities. Because um, something like macrodosing that we were just talking about, having a foundation of being able to regulate your system, um, being connected um, to your body, being connected to all these different areas, that's a really important thing for macrodosing because macrodoses are so much more intense and have more potential to. Um, send things sideways and uh, <laughs> uncover difficult material. It's just a more intense uh, experience. But microdosing is something that's very gentle, very manageable. You can't have a bad trip on microdosing as if, if you actually take a microdose. Um, uh, so microdosing is something that uh, I believe people don't need like a baseline like level foundation almost before going into microdosing. Microdosing can actually be something that helps someone build that foundation uh, first because it's so gentle and manageable. Um, so I just wanted to, to add that in case anyone's listening, like when we're talking about psychedelic work, it's mainly been around macrodosing, uh, but microdosing is a very powerful kind of um, supplemental practice that has been really, really helping a lot of people and myself included. The deep sea diver training. So I did want to ask you a little bit about microdosing because I don't know a whole lot about it, but I, I saw that you offer like a microdosing coaching as part of your practice. Um, and I guess I'm curious as to like people's experiences with how it opens up creativity. Cause I feel like I've heard it related to creativity and like it, Things like that, I guess. I, I don't know how else to word that question. So, <laughs> yeah, no, great question. I'm glad you asked this. Um, yeah. So um, I'm trying to think where to where to start here. So there's there's this thing in the brain called the default mode network, um, the DMN for short. Uh, it's neuroscientists believe that the default mode network is. Um, the part of our brain that creates our narrative of self. So it's the part of our brain that that runs the narrative of um, uh, who I am, my self-image, um, the narrative of my life. Um, and so a lot of people think that the default mode network is, um, you know, like not it is it isn't doesn't equal the ego, but it really like fuels a lot of the the ego. The ego, as we understand it, is sort of the default mode network. It's our self-conception, our self-identity. Um, and it also, the default mode network is what creates a lot of rumination and constant thinking and overthinking for a lot of people. Um, and psychedelics have been shown to decrease activity in the default mode network. Um, so microdosing in particular 
um, is so beneficial for a lot of people, I believe, because it reduces that default mode network activity. So a lot of people who microdose report, man, I just feel so clear. Like I just don't have as many thoughts. My head, I'm just in flow state. Um, I just don't have that like rumination and that like narration of my experience. So for a lot of people, that experience uh, allows them to get into a flow state um, where they're not thinking about what they're doing. They're just completely present with what they're doing. Um, and that uh, really amplifies their creativity because they're able to just be fully present in the act and just completely um, in that that flow state. Uh, and then there's other there's other theories that um, uh, psychedelics get um, and microdosing gets uh, different parts of the brain to communicate and talk with each other. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's there's a theory that um, the right and left hemisphere have more um, more dialogue and more connection. And I think for a lot of people, it um, opens them up more to their right brain. Uh, mm -hmm. capacities, which are more artistic and creative. We have such a left brain dominated society that a yeah. lot of people are, um, you know, living more in a left brain way and psychedelics just like bring more activity and more connection to the right brain. Um, um, so this is all more kind of like a brain neuroscience, uh, you know, perspective. Um, we can also kind of look at um, kind of a more kind of like spiritual, almost like mystical uh, perspective, which is uh, microdosing helps open the heart more, helps um, uh, connect people more to their intuition, helps emotions uh, flow better and helps people be more connected to their emotions. And all of that has a uh, direct connect connection to creativity because it's just more energy flowing in the body. It's like our energy isn't impeded by our normal uh, mm -hmm. functioning and conditioning. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different ways to kind of like look at how microdosing amplifies creativity, um, from different perspectives. Uh, me personally, I find it's kind of funny. I find microdosing sometimes it feels like it amplifies my creativity a ton. Um, and other times it feels like it doesn't. <laughs> so it's not, it's not like, a, it's not a hundred percent thing for me. Um, which other people, for other people I've talked to, it's a hundred percent. They feel more creative, uh, for me, um, it's like maybe like 70% of the time I feel more creative, 30% of the time um, there, it's just asking me to be really uh, kind of sensitive to my emotions and just be really present with what's going on okay. in my body. And I don't feel like I have a bunch of energy and like motivation mm -hmm. to be creative and create stuff. Um, so it's, it's different for all people. Um, but yeah, there's a, but for a lot of people, it does really amplify creativity for a couple different reasons, I believe. So can I, okay, back to the brain stuff, just real quick. Now I'm not a brain scientist, but <laughs> um, I couldn't say that anymore. What? Um, <laughs> what are you even doing here? <laughs> but I did kind of have like an early on question and maybe this fits more with microdosing, but is it, so we're talking about like how it opens up, it like kind of connects different parts of the brain easier kind of opens you up is it that it's like helping to especially during like maybe healing does it help remap some of those like neural pathways is it long term or is it just within that moment and then when it's over you're kind of back to i don't know your regular default state 
Does yeah, great question. Okay. Yeah, totally, totally, <laughs> the question totally makes sense. And yeah, I have to preface it by saying I'm not a brain scientist either. So, <laughs> so someone listening to this who is a brain scientist might be like, what the fuck are they talking about? Like they're, um, so email us, uh, let us know. <laughs> yeah, let us know where we're wrong. Um, so how I understand it is that psychedelics open what's called a window of neuroplasticity. Uh, neuroplasticity is like a fancy word for learning. So there's, um, neurogenesis, which is the uh, creation of new neurons. Um, There's synaptogenesis, which is the uh, connection of new neurons. And then there's there's another word I'm forgetting, but it's the recovery of old neurons. Um, And and the combination of all three of those happening, it's what's called neuroplasticity. So it opens, psychedelics open this window where the brain is forming new neural pathways. It's forming new, uh, connections, um, which is why, um, one of the many reasons it's such a potent tool for transformation and change, because in that window of increased neuroplasticity, you're able to, um, kind of put in new beliefs or put in, um, new experiences of yourself or new experiences of doing something. And then in through that window, um, you're able to make like real sustained changes. Um, now I've seen I, how I understand it. And this, this might not be, you know, a hundred percent again, because a lot of the science and the research around this is like, it's so early in a lot of ways that like, you know, there's still kind of debate and it's not, you know, totally concrete exactly what's happening. Um, but the window of neuroplasticity does close down after the psychedelic experience. Um, but I've heard some researchers researchers say that it it doesn't close down completely and it stays that opening kind of stays sustained over time. Um, and I've heard other researchers say that the changes you make as that in that window of neuroplasticity that does stay with you. Um, so okay. again, it's not like it's not exact, but it does open up a new a window where you can experience things uh, in a new way. And that does register changes in the brain, um, which explains why a lot of people have, like, they make huge changes after having a psychedelic experience. Like a lot of the research right now is, um, working with veterans who have PTSD and they have like one or two MDMA experiences and they don't meet the criteria for PTSD anymore. Um, because they are having such a radically, new experience of themselves and the trauma they've been holding in their body that that just stays sustained and stays with them. There's also a story in the how to change your mind documentary about, um, I think a a guy having super, super compulsive OCD. He has one mushroom experience and he doesn't have OCD anymore. Um, so, I mean, these are, these are obviously kind of like bigger, um, you know, very like almost miraculous stories. Um, but these stories are, are, there's a lot of people who have just had like incredible changes that like you can't even fathom just based on one psychedelic experience. And I would argue mm-hmm. that it's such a profound experience of their mind and their being experiencing reality in such a new way that that change, uh, ends up being sustained and stays with them. Um, so yeah, it's really, it's really kind of cool and fascinating. That's exciting. Yeah, I love that. What what I find really fascinating about neuroplasticity, at least from what I learned about it. So I I learned about it through um, going through um, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, some years past. And what what I learned through that was um, 
part of neuroplasticity is we, we often think in terms of whatever chemical physical changes are happening in the mind influence our thoughts but neuroplasticity shows us that the reverse is also true which i think fascinating <laughs> like we can teach ourselves and train ourselves new ways to think and our brain will change physically in response yeah yeah that's i mean that's that's huge that's so so important and like Imagine if more of the population knew that, right? <laughs> like we have, we have such a materialistic reductionist, uh, view of, uh, reality. I mean, that's really like the, the industrial revolution and, and mainstream science has really kind of created this very, um, matter first, uh, worldview where everything is like first starts in the brain and then it impacts our experience. And, um, I think part of the big paradigm shift that's coming that we're already seeing is, uh, realizing how, um, you know, the material world is actually affected by our interior, interior dimensions, um, and our thoughts and our beliefs and our emotions impact, uh, matter and the kind of the neural correlates and our, our neurobiology, uh, much more than we, um, have thought, which is such an empowering view too. I think a lot of people feel, um, trapped by their brains. They feel trapped by their mm -hmm. minds. Um, very understandably, this culture, um, you know, conditions and uh, indoctrinates and, and um, you know, creates a feeling of disempowerment for a lot of people, very understandably. Um, but I think it's extremely empowering to realize that our thoughts and our interior dimension has an effect on um, the sort of the physical structure of us uh, as well. Um, so, yeah, I love that. That's well, a perfect segue. Oh, sorry, Christina. I was just gonna say we were. I was just talking about this. I want to say I was talking about this with you the other day because I've been reading a lot about the subconscious and and it's about mm -hmm. tapping into the subconscious in order to change the world around you. And so when he just said that, sorry, it yes, just made yes. me think of that instantly. So, so as a perfect segue, I wanted to kind of go back and uh, and zero in on the term integration that you've mentioned. Because uh, in some of your writing, I was really fascinated about how you talk about integration as kind of um, uh, almost a sort of solution to what you, you notice my eyes darting because I'm trying to make sure I don't mess up the lingo here for my notes. <laughs> but uh, it's sort of um, a response to our default mode, mode of what you called separation conscious, consciousness. And then kind of from there, you've talked a bit about a, a whole on theory and then the terms agency and community come to mind. So since we're talking about integration and connectedness and all of that, I just kind of wanted to kind of throw that out there to, to see where you might run with it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you brought this up. Yeah. So I use, I use the word integration uh, in sort of like two contexts. There's the context that we've been talking about it in of like psychedelic integration of having some sort of experience and then integrating the lessons and um, the revelations and the insights uh, into our life and how we're living. That's one form of integration. And then the other form of integration that I use is sort of a larger umbrella word that points to um, uh, living in wholeness is what I would call it. I'd say we, we all have these, we're all made up of these different parts of ourselves. And I really see integration as forming a new whole union by bringing these parts uh, together. So um, I think of myself in a lot of ways as a healer and doing healing work. Um, and I like integration as a word that almost even like is bigger than healing and encapsulates healing. 
Um, so I call myself an integration guide because I really feel like I'm helping people um, integrate all of these different parts of themselves, bring in um, all of these different parts that comprise their being um, and form uh, a whole union within themselves so, so they can live in a, a sense of wholeness. Um, and and also integration also operates on the the level of the different parts of our life too. So our, our spiritual part, our work, um, our family life, a lot of coaching I do is helping kind of integrate all of these different parts. So how can you uh, bring more of your spirituality into your work and how can you bring more of that into um, your relationships and your life with your family. Um, so integration is a very, very big word that I use to almost kind of like house the multiple different things that I that I do. Um, so within being an integration guide overall, I'm doing psychedelic integration work <laughs> um, and uh, doing other, you know, integration for different modalities. Um, but I like that word a lot. I think that's a, I think it's a powerful word um, and obviously uh, means different things in different contexts. So, um, but it, it's a, it's a powerful word in a lot of ways. So in your article, what is a whole on um, that you wrote on Medium? So you challenged the reader to like, think of a time they shifted their energy and it impacted their whole on, right? I wanted to know what's your whole on shift experience? Oh man, great question. Um, I definitely know with the relationship with my girlfriend, every time I uh, go, every time I do work on myself and grow and become more embodied and grounded and present, um, it always up levels the relationship. Um, and same, same thing with her too. Every time there's some lesson, uh, that she's meant to learn that I'm meant to learn and we really take it to heart and grow in that way. Um, it up levels the, uh, relationship, um, significantly. So, uh, mm -hmm. for whole on theory, for anyone listening, um, whole, what a whole on is a whole on is something that is a whole and simultaneously a part of a larger whole. Uh, so everything in reality is composed of holons and an atom is a whole, but it's also part of a cell. That's the larger whole. Um, a molecule is a whole and it's also part of, um, a cell, which is also part of your body. And I'm a whole person and I'm also part of my intimate relationship with my girlfriend, also part of my family. I'm part of society. Um, society is part of the biosphere. You can go on and on, but basically whole on theory is a way of seeing that everything is nested within a larger whole. And rather than having a hierarchy in reality, we have a nested holarchy of whole ons. Um, so one of the things I was doing with that piece um, was uh, you through whole on theory, trying to get people to reflect on times that they, when they've moved into more wholeness in their lives, that's directly impacted the other whole ons that they're part of. Um, so initially, uh, my close relationship, um, comes to me, my immediate family, um, every time, uh, I've grown and changed and transformed. Um, it's had an effect on my dad and the work that he's doing and who he is in the world. Um, which that's one of my favorite things about my relationship with my dad is that 
Um, I've always felt like our, the, our mutual growth was always inspiring and bringing each other up. Like every time uh, I would learn so much from watching him, he would learn so much from watching me. We would, you know, we were very open about our personal growth journeys and we would always discuss them. And so in the relationship with my dad, that's a larger whole and I'm a part of, and that constantly, it was constantly being up-leveled by my own personal uh, growth uh, and change. Another great example is like, um, like in college, in a class, um, when there would be a class where there wasn't a lot of participation from the students and the professor was really not getting great dialogue, um, that would sometimes be an invitation for me to really participate and share my voice and try to get dialogue going in the class. Um, and I had a couple instances where the way that I was showing up to that class really, uh, really benefited um, and positively impacted the discussion and the kind of educational experience that that college class was. Mm -hmm. um, so those are kind of more, uh, you know, those are very like um, relationship-based examples, but uh, yeah, that was like, that was my, that, that's what, that's what comes to me. Life is so much about relationships though, you know? Um, and I, I like that group, the last one you did, because I find that at work a lot, like uh, we'll be in a meeting and somebody's presenting and they ask a question and people are just dead silent. And so then I'm like, okay, I got to unmute and ask something or say something like, <laughs> and it almost just breaks the tension. Like if just one person that's not the presenter or like the official leader of something like one person that's like your peer interacts, then it kind of invites other people to feel more comfortable to engage and share. Um, so yeah, I like that last example. There, there is a quote I really, <clears throat> from that article you wrote that I really wanted to highlight. So I just, I really latched onto it. So I, I, I like to think in terms of in our society, especially in comparison to other societies, uh, you know, here in the American West, we're very hyper-individualistic, right? Whereas a, a lot of other cultures are very uh, communal and less emphasis on the individual, more on how everybody communicates, how everybody is in community with everybody else. And I, I like to bounce that out. Like I, I like to say I think of myself as a very unique gear in a very larger machine. And you're so so to quote from your article uh, in regard to Holons, you said too much agency with not enough communion means a Holon loses its connection to the things greater than itself. Too much communion with not enough agency means a Holon loses its sense of self. And I thought that was just a beautiful yeah. way of summarizing the whole thing. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate that that resonated with you. Um, cause that was one of the main points that I was trying to get across in that piece. Cause the fundamental balance between Holons is this, uh, balance between agency and communion. So a Holon in order to remain a Holon has to maintain some level of agency and wholeness. Like if the atoms in our bodies just stopped being atoms <laughs> the whole thing would fall apart like if one of the holons on the holarchy like stops it loses its wholeness then the whole thing crashes um but 
um, holons also have to be in some level of communion and harmonization with the larger holes that they're part of if our organs um, stopped being uh, in communion and harmonization with the larger whole of our bodies, um, we would die. Um, so whole, so with holons, there's this constant balance of maintaining my wholeness and my agency and also being in some sort of connection to something larger than myself. Um, and for a lot of people, what I talked about in that, that article, for a lot of people, they grew up in uh, constrictive environments where their agency and their whole on where, where their agency and their wholeness was limited and they weren't allowed to be in their wholeness. It was all about communing and harmony, harmonizing with the larger whole, whether that be the religion, the family, the culture. Um, and for a lot of people, as they uh, move and deconstruct and leave these constrictive environments, um, their healing really comes through leaning into their agency and their wholeness and really discovering who they are outside of this thing that they grew up in and actually allowing themselves to um, exercise their agency and be a little bit more independent. So they're like almost like they were too far on the communion side. They need to like kind of reintegrate by leaning more into the agency side. For other people, they grew up without having anything really larger to connect to. And they were they just had too much agency um, growing up. And there's almost this like ache and this longing to participate in something that's larger than themselves. So a big part of their healing is connecting to larger holes uh, to um, uh, harmonize and commune and, uh, you know, contribute to. Um, so there's like this constant, there's this like constant balance, almost this constant kind of like uh, push and pull. And I, I think that this concept really gives us a beautiful sort of vision for an ideal world that we all should be striving for, which is to create the kind of systems and structures that give people their full agency and wholeness. Um, because when that's done, when holons are able to live in their full wholeness, um, they want to use that wholeness to contribute positively to uh, the larger wholes and to the collective. Um, so when we can optimize the right conditions and give people their wholeness, um, that naturally makes them want to um, commune with the other whole ones that they're part of in a positive way. When someone, you know, really heals and transforms, oftentimes they want to help others do the same, or they want to go live their uh, life purpose in a way that's making the world a better place. Um, so right now we have a culture and society and systems that limits people's uh, agency and their wholeness. Um, and that in turn makes a, a lot of people not want to really participate positively in the larger holes that they're part of. And that's, I think, speaks to so much of the dysfunction in our modern world um, is we've uh, created almost a negative feedback loop between minimizing wholeness and then restricting or preventing people from wanting to participate in these larger holes. And like, how can we really empower um, and uh, validate people's wholeness and their creativity so that they naturally want to uh, work on benefit for the collective? Yeah, that's some, that's some deep truth right there. <laughs> so, so Christina, I've been dying for you to get a chance to bring up your question about oh, oh. 
Oh my god! <laughs> the chase board. Oh wow. Okay. Let's go. Let's hear it. Let me scroll. Let me see. Okay. Yeah, I gotta look at my notes. I'm I'm not a very good like off the dome kind of gal. I'm very nervous. So I, uh, I was peeking at her notes earlier, and I was like, <laughs> oh man, we got to get that one in, no matter what. Uh, yeah. Let me find it. Okay. So, well, this is kind of a part of something else that I was going to ask. So the first part is when I, w- well, when I was doing research for that DMT episode, uh, I came across an article that was talking about a survey that was done where um, it said like about 90% of um, people that went into the, the, the experiment or whatever, they were atheists. And about 90% of them, after they came out of a psychedelic experiment, they felt that they did believe in some kind of higher power or God. Okay. So one part that I wanted to ask you was, is how many people report to you having a meeting with God or something similar, like having this big profound spiritual experience where maybe they, they weren't so spiritual before. Yeah. Great question. I, so I don't really, I haven't, most of the people I work with um, already have some sort of spiritual orientation. So I really okay. haven't worked with anyone that was like, you know, completely atheist or had no belief in any sort of higher power, or any sort of spiritual beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, I have heard from people who know people who have had that. I haven't personally uh, encountered uh, anyone who's gone from atheist to some sort of spiritual belief um, from experience. I've definitely worked with people who have had a new understanding of the divine or some sort of new spiritual connection or, um, you know, big insights uh, and revelations around their mm-hmm. spiritual connection and a deeper, deepened spiritual connection. But I've never had, um, you know, some like a, you know, an atheist go for, to a, to a non-atheist <laughs> through. Um, uh, and, but I have, but I have, well, I haven't experienced this personally, but I have uh, heard of people who had a more fundamentalist uh, religious orientation take psychedelics and actually become an atheist after that experience, um, <laughs> which I would argue is a very positive development. I actually think it's a positive development to go from a fundamentalist belief to uh, atheism. I think a- I think the beliefs of atheism is actually a lot healthier than fundamentalist uh, mm-hmm. religious beliefs. Yeah. Um, so it's not a, uh, it's not, a, it's the, the experience almost gives the person what they need on their journey. And for some people, um, it's really healthy and empowering for them to move to atheism after being in fundamentalist beliefs. For some people, it's very empowering for them to go from a more atheist orientation to some connection to something, some spiritual, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I just throw that out there to say psychedelics oftentimes produce mystical experiences for for people, but um, that's not always the case. And it can be almost kind of unique and unexpected for different people, depending on where they're at. That was a good answer, Trace. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) So whatever they might need, yeah. (laughs) And that kind of adds something to, since we're talking on the uh, 
topic of God and and experiences. You've actually said that we cannot truly describe God, that he is ineffable. Um, and so I was going to ask before you kind of, you know, would you say that your own experiences with psychedelics and comparing notes with others kind of confirms this? It's just. Yes, yes, absolutely. I would say, um, uh, what's, what's the quote? It's like, uh, all words for God are a poor translation. Um, they're the, yeah, I would, what I would, you know, I don't, I don't typically, I don't really use the word, uh, God too much. Cause I think the word God has a lot of, you know, connotations and kind of associations for people. It creates yeah. a, an image of something, a man, a person, a, it, uh, the word God kind of projects like a being or a figure like out there that I'm at a distance from. Um, and I would, you know, I, my experience and, you know, what I've come across from a lot of people is the mystical experience is a experience of the, the very source of reality itself, or even just reality itself, which again, I know like the words, it's like, what the fuck? Like, it's just, it's, it's so hard to put words to it. I was um, literally but, thinking the source when you said that, like that was, yes. Yes. And so, um, my, it, yeah. So it's, I mean, it's so hard to, to put, you know, words to the mystical experience, but in my experience, the mystical experience is, it's not the experience of a being that's at a distance from us. Um, it's the experience of the source of reality uh, itself, which ultimately words are an expression of the source. So the words, it's like the hand trying to grasp itself. Words can never fully capture that, which is the, uh, the infinite source of uh, the words and the creation itself. <laughs> um, but yeah. It's such a small term for something so grand and so, yeah, undescribable. So I love how you put it. Thank you. Okay. So there was an experiencer from Reddit post, okay, <laughs> that I read. And they made this statement, uh, paraphrasing basically, that we're all taste buds of God. So I wanted to get your opinion on that statement. That's what James was referring to. And I think you touched on it a little bit just now, but what do you think of that? Yeah, I love that. I think that, I think that quote is, I think that quote is great. I think, uh, <laughs> it's, it's creative. The taste buds of God. I've never, yeah. <laughs> I've never heard that. Um, yeah, I would, I would say, yeah, I, I would say what we are is, you know, God, source, reality, whatever word you want to give it, experiencing itself. Um, that's part of the the mystical experience and the awakenings um, that I've had um, from psychedelics and also from other modalities like meditation and other just spiritual experiences is that this, this field of consciousness that experiences is happening in, all of us are experiencing, we're having some... Um, you know, sensory experience happening within consciousness and that field of consciousness, um, I have experienced as source itself. Um, and so all of our unique life experiences are happening within this field of consciousness. And it's the, our human experiences are, are the way that this field of, of consciousness experiences itself. We're the taste buds, we're the ways that this um, infinite space, this infinite uh, consciousness is, uh, experiencing itself in an infinite variety of forms. Um, so yeah, whether God, 
God being something that God, consciousness, source, reality, um, having these like almost these these individual perspectives of itself is what all of our uh, experiences is. That's my that's been my um, sort of experience and understanding. Um, so yeah, like us us all being the taste buds of this uh, <laughs> infinite source. Yeah. I thought that was such a good way to put it. I, I was thinking this person needs to be a writer. I don't know if this is a one-off Reddit post or if they're professional, but they they should be professional. The taste buds of God. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a great book title. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I know we're coming to the hour mm. mark, and I don't want to hold you hostage for too for too long. So uh, we can we can get into some, some final questions. So we don't, we don't, uh, hold you, but, um, I, I was curious. I, I, I've seen you mentioned a couple of times and it seems really related to a lot of the, um, uh, nervous system regulation that you've talked about, but I, I've seen the, the term pop up network spiral chiropract- chiropractic through, through several pieces of your writing. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how it relates? Yeah, yeah. So network spinal chiropractic is a nervous system optimization uh, technique um, that I was introduced to it by my girlfriend a couple of years ago. Uh, And I have not, I I do a lot of different, I explore a lot of different modalities and practices. Like you've probably seen in my writing, like meditation, breath work, um, you know, going out in nature, um, psychedelics, obviously, um, you know, EMDR therapy, working with a coach, guide, therapist, all that stuff I integrate in my life. And it's been huge for my growth and transformation. Uh, Nothing has been as impactful to my day-to-day state as network spinal chiropractic has been. Um, And it's a way for the nervous system to um, become optimized and to, uh, experience reality in the healthiest way possible. So our nervous system essentially dictates how we experience, uh, reality because the nervous system is, um, you know, the brain, the, this, the spine. Um, so the way that our body, I'm, I'm going to, you know, fumble on my words here, but basically the nervous system is us in a lot of ways. Um, and network spinal, you go into a chiropractic office, you sit down, lay down on the table. They don't do any sort of cracking of the back or cracking of the spine. They just touch these pressure points on your body that gets the different parts of the nervous system and the body to, to talk and communicate with each other. And, um, it's sort of like, it sort of feels like magic. Like it, it releases, uh, emotions, it releases stuck energy. Um, I, uh, struggled with uh, dissociation for a while where I would certain emotions would come up for me that I would completely just dissociate from and I would get really bad brain fog and just be super disconnected and it was awful. And network spinal was the thing that re- that completely healed my dissociation and I don't dissociate uh, anymore. Um, so I feel after doing a year of network spinal, uh, I feel like a completely new person uh, in so many ways. Um, the, what it's done for my emotional health and my ability to just be present to my emotions completely transformed my life. So in a lot of my emails, I repeatedly mentioned network spinal because yeah. not only has it changed my life, but, um, I've seen it change a lot of people's lives who I've recommended. So I'm just, and it's not a very well-known modality too. I really believe as far as like impact of this modality and how little it's known, 
like the potential for it over the next coming decades um, is huge. So I just believe in it so strongly that I like constantly just put the message out like, hey, network's final. Hey, network's final. Uh, so I love that you asked about it. And uh, I just tell everyone about it that I uh, that I know. Um, so you can look up in your area if there's network spinal practitioners. Not every city, unfortunately, has one, but most cities do. Um, so anyone that's listening, um, yeah, I would highly recommend doing a little research on it um, and just giving it a shot because it really, uh, really has changed my life. Well, since we're winding down, I'm going to ask you kind of a random one uh, that I had in here. But I, so I, I just literally yesterday started this death doula course. Um, and it got me thinking about how we journey to the end of life. Right. And I was wondering if, do you think, uh, psychedelics could play a role in how we view death and how we deal with that transition toward end of life? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. First off, congratulations. I'm really glad you're taking that course. That's thank huge, you. important work. So thank you. Uh, second, um, absolutely. Um, one of the preeminent psychedelic studies has been through John Hopkins and they uh, did a lot of work with um, cancer patients and people that were had terminal illnesses. And they did uh, psilocybin studies. Psilocybin is the active ingredient in magic mushrooms. Um, mm -hmm. And they did psilocybin experiences for these people with terminal illnesses. And I forget the I forget the percentage, but like some crazy like like ninety something percent of the people in the study reported no longer having a fear of death or having their fear of death um, like like minimized significantly. Wow. Um, and I mean, there's, there's so many, there's so many things we could get into about that, about mm -hmm. exactly why the nature of a psychedelic experience can help ease the fear of death. Um, and I, I know people personally who, um, are older people closer to death or have some sort of terminal illness where psychedelics brought tremendous amount of peace and acceptance. Um, I would argue that. Um, one of the many ways and one of the many reasons this happens is because psychedelics take us and connect us to a part of ourselves that is beyond death, a part of ourselves that is um, transcendent of the human body. Um, so for a lot of people, it's a realization that death isn't the end um, and that there's there's some there there who they are continues after death. So I think a lot mm -hmm. of anxiety around death for people is that, um, it feels like the end, it's just lights out. It's completely, you're just gone. You live for however many years and who you are is just gone. And that experience shows that there's some sort of their, their essence, um, is beyond, uh, that. Um, and there's also, you know, many other ways I think that the psychedelic experience helps ease that, that fear of death. But I, I think psychedelics present a really, really cool opportunity for our culture to, uh, understand and have a different relationship with death. Um, and a lot of the mm -hmm. studies have, have shown that. Um, so a lot of potential and we need more people training to become death doulas, um, because we need, it's just like integration work. We need people who, um, are near the end of their life and have these 
kind of experiences. Um, we need uh, people who can are are trained in the process of death and um, mm -hmm. and obviously, as you know, work with people who aren't having psychedelic experiences and need support uh, as they die. But yeah, I think it's a really, really cool moment for uh, and a cool opportunity to kind of reframe how we relate to death as humans. You know, yeah, and it's, it's oh, I'm sorry, Christina, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You, I was going to say have... that kind of segues into my last question. And it's kind of funny how I came across this question because I was a little nervous. And so when I get nervous about things, I watch things that make me laugh. And I was watching Saturday Night Live and it was an old episode where Will Ferrell was still on the show and he used to pretend to be James Lipton from Inside the Actor's Studio. If you've ever watched the actual show Inside the Actor's Studio, it was such a great show. And James Lipton, he always had this one final question for every person he ever had on the show. And I'll change it a little bit, but it's... Uh, if God exists or the great voice or whatever, what would you like to hear him say as you enter the pearly gates? Uh, oh shit. That's a great question. God exists. Um, uh, I'm, I, my brain was moving between like, what's like a funny, what's the funny answer? What's like the actual like profound, <laughs> uh, significant answer. Um, I think, uh, I would, I think I would want to hear, uh, God say, um, that it's, it's all about love. It's all been love. Um, love has been the, the purpose and the why behind all of it, uh, the whole time. And I, you know, in my mystical experiences, that's been one of the, uh, insights, uh, that I've, you know, really, really felt and a lot of other people have reported that too that you know love is uh the point and the reason and the why behind everything um which you know to our human minds uh is can be a difficult truth to integrate with the amount of suffering in the world and the pain in the world like how could love be behind this um but the embodied mystical experience i think gives people an understanding that it is love so in this situation if god was actually some sort of being yeah. separate that was speaking to me. I kind of want him to confirm that just so I knew like, Hey, I wasn't off base with that. <laughs> I wasn't being duped or tricked. Like me and all these people who have had this experience uh, really were uh, kind of on the right track that it's all about love. And we heard it from, uh, from, uh, you know, his words uh, first. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And just to quote then how Will Ferrell would have said at the end of that skit was that makes me create a new word. Scrumptulescent. <laughs> <laughs> so since we since we are the little podcast of horrors i have to ask what's something spooky that's happened to trace bell oh great question um something spooky that's happened to me uh there was a house that we lived in growing up for a couple of years that um, I found out later that someone committed uh, suicide in uh, in the house. And I felt a very dark, negative energy when I was there um, that I couldn't fully articulate. Um, I was a, as a kid, I was a, <laughs> I watched a lot of horror movies and I was a big horror movie fan. Um, and in this, during living in this house, 
I got really like weirdly into watching horror movies. Like I had this like obsession with it an obsession with uh, scary stories. And I started to um, feel like this sort of like dark presence or this like, just like negative energy in the house. Um, and later after we left the house, we'd found out that someone had killed themselves in this house. Um, and I then looked back and realized that probably my fascination with horror movies and scary stories is <laughs> me trying to make sense of it somehow or trying to like uh, get to know it somehow. Um, so that's yeah. kind of an, like an intense uh, kind of answer to your question. But that was uh, definitely probably like the spookiest experience of my life. <laughs> I know that's supposed to be the last question, but I, speaking of like, sensitivities are you pretty psychically sensitive because i did see you had intuitive readings and insights on your website are you a sensitive yeah i would say i'm i'm psychically sensitive um the intuitive readings that i list on my website is uh more it's through this modality called theta healing that okay um is this sort of modality where you can uh get receive intuitive messages so i'm not like a psychic or anything like i don't you know, like predict the future or like, um, but I definitely do working with people have like strong intuitive uh, mm -hmm. feelings and messages um, that in the right container and someone's open, I do share with them. Um, yeah. I'm, I always like working with people, always and reminding people to trust their own intuition. So just because I have an intuitive message or an intuitive feeling about something uh, does not mean that it's true. Um, and my psychic uh, abilities have been wrong before. Uh, and, you know, even the best psychics, I believe, uh, mm -hmm. you know, are prone to error and we're humans. So it's all being filtered uh -huh. through this human mind. Um, but yeah, I definitely, um, I definitely have always considered myself a sensitive person and, and feel, uh, pretty, uh, have some psychic abilities, I would say, but yeah, you know, by no, by no means a master though. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I'm really into it, but neither am I. So, no, no, uh, I just find that that stuff really interesting. And, you know, your intuition is a psychic sense. So, you know, it doesn't have to be about predicting the future. And you're right. It's like we are filtering things through a lens. So it's not always um, a lot of times things can be metaphorical. And so it's you, you can't always take things completely literally depending on your psychic senses. So that's pretty. Yeah. Cool. So anyway. well said. So well said. All right. Well, Trace Bell, thank you so much for coming and joining us on Little Podcast of Horrors. We loved having you on here. Yes. Oh, thank you guys. This was such so a much blast. Fun. Yes. And you guys can check out um, more information. Uh, Trace, you've got a website, tracebell.com, and Bell is spelled with three L's. Thank three. you. If you put two, you'll go to the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> three people like the name Trace. <laughs> Thank you. And where, Thank you for catching that too. Yes. And where else, Trice? Where else can people find you? Uh, people can find my organizational work at open-aware.com. So I do uh, organizational consulting uh, and run a business with my partner, Tina, uh, called Open Aware. So open-aware.com is where they can find my other work that's not under the Trace Bell domain. All right. Well, thank you so much, Trace. Yes. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. Okay. Well, if you liked this episode, please like, share it with others. And once again, I want to thank Trace Bell for joining us today uh, on our little podcast of horrors. And hey, if you want to support us making more content like this, 
Or if you want to hang out with us and have a little chat, littlepodcastofhorrors.com, you'll find a link to our Patreon. And for $2 a month, you can get access to our Discord, Little Discord of Gamers. If you're not a gamer, it's okay. Come in and just hang out and chat. For that, too. It's all good. Yeah, it's all good. (laughs) I'm sorry, you sound like Grandpa. Like, come on in. But yeah, <laughs> we're gonna have I'm still trying to get my voice back. It has definitely made interview challenging. It. Yeah. Still like squeaking things Come out. Come on, we'll be doing what the kids are doing. We'll get jiggy with it. It's gonna be great. Also, you can uh, email us at littlepodcasthorrors um, at gmail.com. All right, thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.